welcome to New Age Raid, a podcast about spirituality in the modern age. My name is Brody, and I shall be your host. All right, guys, um, welcome back. So today we're doing that rant episode. Um, it's been kind of a crazy week, as I said in the uh, announcement. Um, been dealing with realtors showing my house and people wanting to walk through. And sometimes they um, see the realtor originally offered a 24-hour notice. And she said, uh, we'll never let anybody in unless they give us 24 hours notice. And then, you know, gave it two days and she was already trying to schedule showings on the day of. And and then I had realtors having scheduled appointments and then not showing up for them and then showing up later in the day and wanting to show people the house. And it's just like paid my rent and I live here. So please leave. <laughs> um, but that's, uh, that's not what we're here to talk about. Um, so the point of this rant, I think, thinking about what I was going to say, um, I think it's a good time to kind of go over my personal history and my personal story kind of in essence, mostly because when I think in terms of a podcast of what we, um, well, what I have to, to offer in particular is obviously that's unique to me is my own experience for one, my own point of view. Um, and that seems to be, sometimes it boggles me that people <laughs> care so much about one particular person's point of view. Um, but I mean, people like Joe Rogan. So, <laughs> um, and I'm pretty sure that's, it's, it's just, we, we like unique voices. And so I'm hoping that that's something that I'm able to offer beyond just kind of a Guinea pig for spiritual practices and trying them out and letting you know how it works. Um, but I think within the context of what I'm trying to do with the podcast, my own story is relevant um, because it informs what I'm trying to do in terms of the podcast, why I feel like this is a particular calling or purpose of mine. I think very much, especially recently, but also kind of my life's journey has been a process of of learning how to reconstruct one's spiritual life after it's been damaged in a, in a way and I think that's something that's happening to a lot of us um, I've had people reach out and talk about their um, to break away from their particular religions and their movements into new ones and dealing with the many issues that come with that. So as you guys know by now, I, I was raised Mormon, um, and I was a very diligent Mormon, at least through my youth. Um, now, I was a smart kid, and I try to say that in the least, in the most humble way I can. I was, I've just always been, um, fairly good at learning and memorizing things and 
picking up the meaning of things, at least in high school, <laughs> that period of time. I never had to study for anything, and I also never had to work very hard at anything. Um, so there's a there's a flip side to that. Um, so I found myself being naturally good at what was expected of me. In Mormon culture, that's, that's a big thing. Um, I think particularly when you're a youth is that you're trying to win the approval of your peers and your parents and also the adults that are your leaders. Um, they're asking you to, to pray and read your scriptures and to give talks and, you know, go out and do service and all these, these kind of things. And you do them, um, a little bit out of your own desire to do them, but also because there's a lot of social uh, social pressure involved there. Um, that's why I think about the practice of baptizing people when they're eight now, and I really disagree with it in the sense that um, you, when you're eight years old, uh, you're not ready to make a major spiritual covenant. Um, it's at least I think of terms in my own baptism, and I'm like, well, I certainly didn't get baptized because I wanted to, and I don't remember thinking through the decision a lot. I just knew that after said baptism that they would bring me these nice little, um, they'd make these silly little candy grams, <laughs> and that I would get all of that candy and a nice party, and everyone would be happy with me. Um, so, of course, I told the bishop I wanted to be baptized because I didn't know what it meant. Um, I think back on that now and I'm like, well, there I was making supposedly the most important spiritual decision, one of the most important spiritual decisions of my life, or at least it was supposed to be. Um, and I was eight, didn't know what was going on, really probably more focused on the candy and not wanting to upset my parents or anything, you know. So the thought of like, actually making that a decision. It wasn't a decision. It was for an eight-year-old. It's like, well, I want candy in the party <laughs> and I don't want my parents to be mad at me. So it's not, there's no contest. Um, so I'm fairly sure that a lot of the things that I did, why I was so diligent and faithful, do have a lot to do with social pressure. Nonetheless, I still did go kind of above and beyond most youth my age. Um, I got the sense at the time that before a young man goes on his mission, the typical amount of times he'd read the Book of Mormon was one time, maybe two, four if you're like really good. And I'd, I'd read it 12, 11, 12 times. And I'd also read the entire Bible and Doctrine and Covenants and Pearl of Great Price and all the other kind of satellite scriptures that um, Mormons have, and I know they don't like being called Mormons anymore. I don't care. It's uh, <laughs> what you get when your main website is mormon.org for um, a couple decades. So, um, that being said, what happened to me was before my mission. I was super fired up, and I'd had spiritual experiences for sure. I don't deny that Mormons or Catholics or Baptists or any religion 
is devoid of spiritual experience. I think sometimes organized religion puts things, certain stumbling blocks, we'll say, um, within it that can make it more difficult. Because my running hypothesis is that you don't need anyone to play middleman for you, between you and God or whatever source of divinity you um, you're trying to connect with. We're watching this video with one of the apostles, me and my wife, um, and she's pretty open to, well, that story's <laughs> our, uh, how this works in our, in our relationship is, is something I'll get to, but this video of one of the apostles of the church talking about how in this meeting, it doesn't really matter what he was going to say what he was going to say from the pulpit. Um, it mattered what the Spirit or the Holy Ghost was going to teach them. And coming from the perspective I was now, I kind of asked him, like, well, then what the hell do I need you for? <laughs> like, if what matters <clears throat> is what I'm getting from the Spirit, um, what, why do I need someone standing between me and that? But that was something that occurred much later. Um, and to get back to the story, I guess, um, I, so I definitely felt the spirit. I think the divine contacts us in whatever religion we're in. And I'd had experiences that were important to me and that let me know that this stuff, spirituality, um, religion, whatever it was to me at the time, was important. And so, <clears throat> naturally, I had that desire to share it with other people, and I wanted to go on a mission. Also, the social pressure, the stigma around young men who don't serve a mission in the church is pretty heavy, and those who come back. There was even this um, quote from an apostle can't remember his name at the moment. Um, it could be Mary and Jean Romney. Um, <laughs> that said, I would rather have you come home in a box than without your virtue. And that quote kind of got floated around and then changed a bit. Like that, I'm fairly sure I heard my own dad say at one time that like I'd rather you come home in a box than come home early, kind of thing. Um, so it was definitely viewed as a rite of passage, and it is, in a sense. Um, there's definitely, regardless of the religious content of the, the mission itself, it's definitely a rite of passage for young men in the sense that um, it's a unique experience that marks your transition into adulthood. Um, but the stigma around people who came early or didn't go at all was heavy. Um, and so I have no doubt that that played a part in my deciding to go. But also beyond that, and this is this is me being vulnerable here. Um, growing up as a youth, as a young man, I had significant problems with, well, at the time that's what they were. I had problems with pornography, and uh, and everything that comes with it. <laughs> um, and 
I was under the. I was operating under the belief that that was a sin, and that that made me unworthy. So lied to a ton of bishops. I lied in order to get on my on, into the mission field, and I lied to stay there because the shame of not being able to go in the first place or coming home early was not something I was ready to deal with. Um, and and I think that's probably true of 80, 90% of missionaries now that I think about it. Because when it comes to the pornography stuff and all of that, uh, Utah uses, which, I mean, for those who don't know, it's the state in the United States with the most Mormons. They settled here and they're good chunk of the population. More uh, in the state, Utah uses more pornography per capita than any other state in the United States, which tells me that the <laughs> what the church is teaching about pornography and sexuality in general is backfiring hard. It's not working. It's having the opposite effect in that people within the state use these things more than anyone else in the union, and that is directly correlated to the Mormons. <laughs> there's no way around it. Um, that, and there's also increased amount of sex crimes. You've got, especially recently, it's been on the news, a lot of bishops who've been caught with child pornography or, you know, putting cameras in women's dressing rooms, all kinds of, you know, terrible things. Um, so what I realize now is that pornography and masturbation, all of those are fairly normal parts of human life <laughs> that Mormons and other Christian groups and Muslims and lots of religions make a real big deal out of, and that causes the opposite <laughs> effect of what they're going for. Um, but the point is, is like telling the story, one of the main things that I did a lot was lie. I lied to my parents. I lied to my bishops, my youth leaders, because there was an obligation to be worthy to do several things and to be unworthy to do those things was to be um, not cast out, but, you know, looked down upon um, and to, you know, reduce your social status. Regardless, I um, still went and served a mission. Um, and now there's missionaries in the field that I know confessed things that were worse than anything I did in terms of graveness of sin um and they never got sent home either so um the mission was probably that faith-breaking experience that i had that caused the beginning of the end in that the things that i had been taught all my life about my leaders about how the church operates um about jesus christ about god all those things got challenged on my mission in that I was based off of what I'd read in the Bible and in Preach My Gospel, which is the manual that missionaries use to learn how to be missionaries. And 
all that on how to be a missionary, I came into the field in Brazil and they were just violating several core principles in that they were baptizing people who were not ready to make that covenant by, by my standards. Like the rule was they had to go to church twice and they had to be taught all the lessons and agree to certain um, commandments, law of chastity that they wouldn't have sex outside marriage or and so that required people who were living together but not married to get married before they would get baptized, things like that. But also they had to obey the word of wisdom, so no alcohol, no coffee, no black tea, no um, drugs of any kind. Um, and then they also had to understand all the lessons, <laughs> profess belief in Joseph Smith and us, several other things. And going to church twice by my standards, is hardly enough for you to fulfill that standard. Because I, we always talked about these like golden contacts, these people who you talk to them and they were instantly ready. Like they've been looking for the truth and then you brought it to them and they believed everything instantly and they accepted everything and changed their lives. Now those people are one in a million. You don't find a lot of them. I never found one <laughs> the whole time I was there. I found plenty of humble people who wanted to learn more, but were reasonably skeptical. In fact, I would consider it pretty foolish to just jump into a new religion after only knowing it for two weeks, um, at least making commitments. Um, obviously, I jump around to new spiritualities all the time, but they don't ask me to commit to anything. <laughs> um, in fact, they, they usually, uh, the only offers that they have to give me are direct benefits to me. I mean, these people have to start paying tithing, you know, 10% of their income. So there's certain major commitments that they had to keep. And I just saw a lot of missionaries take people to church twice, barely teach them the lessons, basically cajole them into giving the right answers to the baptismal interview questions, and then, you know, baptizing them, hopefully confirming them, which is giving them the gift of the Holy Ghost. It's another um, covenant or, or right. And then these people never went to church ever again, which defeated the whole purpose to me. You've got the church out here claiming to have millions and millions of members, and I'm fairly sure only a quarter of those are active people. A lot of them are just people that ended up on the records because some missionary baptized them, and then they never went back to church again, or they fell away soon after. Which I understood. I'm like, if you're baptizing them and they're not staying, you're just damning people left and right. Um, <clears throat> but beyond that, I get I kept being told things like <clears throat> that I was responsible for the salvation of people. That if I was walking down the street with my companion and we didn't talk to this person and or every person, that we had denied them the opportunity to know the true church and that we would be accountable for that. Which I thought of, and I was like, if you think God is going to send a bunch of 19 to 21-year-olds who are stupid, I've met, I've, I've known enough missionaries, they're stupid. They're young men. They're boys. <laughs> I was one of them. I was stupid. Um, if he's making the salvation of the world dependent on these people, then God is stupider than I thought. I really doubt, like I really doubted that that's why 
God was sending us on missions. Sure, as a bonus, we spread the gospel, but I was far more convinced that the mission was for the person serving it than the uh, other way around. But I got told that a lot, and then I saw my mission present behave in ways that were difficult for me to cope with, in that I got my hands on a mission president's manual, which lowly old missionaries aren't supposed to be able to do that, but found one. Um, And I knew precisely what he was supposed to do in regards to missionaries who confessed certain sins and whether or not they should go home. And there was missionaries, good friends of mine who did, and then did not get sent home. I know he guilt-tripped certain missionaries who did uh, commit certain sins, that if they did not baptize people, that they would not be forgiven. Um, He constantly promoted this loose baptizing of people, um, didn't seem to be bothered by the fact that these people never came back to church. I got raked over the coals weekly over my lack of baptisms and bad performance and because other missionaries had baptized so many people in that area why can't you and of course it's then um level at you the accusation that you're sinning which i mean as far as my mission goes i uh, never had a more sinless life um didn't do anything but study scriptures and teach the gospel to people and try and work with companions who were oftentimes difficult to work with. Um, And uh, we'd been taught that bishops and mission presidents and all that were people who had something called the spirit of discernment, that they were so spiritually powerful that the Holy Ghost would tell them the truth, that they would know if you were lying to them, and that they would also, that they were, you know, picked by God, basically. Um, There's not a whole lot of mission presence around. Like, you got millions of members, but probably hundreds of mission presidents, so it's an elite few, you know? Like, these guys were called by the apostles of the church. And on my mission, I saw a man who was fundamentally flawed in the way he was operating and doing things that, if he were being guided by the Spirit, he wouldn't be doing. If Hell, if he were being guided by the guidebooks, <laughs> he wouldn't be doing those things. So it did. there was no spiritual intercession necessary from the Holy Ghost. They he was doing things he shouldn't have been doing because it's written in the book. Like we all had handbooks. I had rules. He had rules and he was breaking his own rules. But I had been taught that you are supposed to be obedient to your mission president. But here I was in this situation where I was being asked to be obedient to a man who I knew was not doing things correctly. And that wasn't arrogance on my part. I'd read it, you know, that, and I saw stark differences between the way that I felt Jesus Christ would do things and the way that we were doing things in the mission. So I got into the mission. I was a goody two shoes. I tried to get other people to keep the rules like no worldly music, no, 
um, slacking off. You went to work. You worked the whole time. You didn't, you know, go home and take naps. And I instantly started butting heads with lots of companions. Not all of them. I had some companions that were good. They're still good friends. Um, but eventually it just got tiresome. Um, I couldn't live in constant conflict with every single one of my companions or just the missionaries who were living with me. Um, they were much, they're much more childish than you think they are. They're supposed to be official represent representatives of Jesus Christ, but they, they hit on girls. They try and hook up with girls who are, or aren't members of the church. They did all kinds of things that you're not supposed to do, but I couldn't, keep fighting other people all the time on the baptism issues. I had, you know, missionary leaders who would constantly get into conflicts with me over like people that I was refusing to baptize because I knew they weren't ready. Um, and they were simply under the impression if they'd gone to church twice, then you better be baptizing them. Um, And it just, two years of that, by the end of it, I was tired and dejected. I'd even had the, I'd had an apostle come to my mission, uh, give talks and basically say the exact same thing that I'd always thought, that if they get baptized and they never come back, then you've, you've not served your purpose. And tell that straight to the mission president and everyone else, and then you know, less than a couple days later, it was business as usual. Like we'd never even heard what he said. And I remember that was a big moment of dejection for me that I just, I didn't understand. <clears throat> Nonetheless, I felt like I was in, I was in communication with God and that there was this story in the Book of Mormon about planting seeds or, well, um, <clears throat> cuttings, I guess, is the proper. It's from Isaiah, but putting cuttings in difficult soil and that somehow those cuttings that were put into the bad soil still grew and that I felt like I was put in bad soil. I was put in a bad mission with a lot of misbehavior and a mission president who was not fulfilling his calling. But nonetheless, I needed, that's the lesson I needed. And I definitely still agree with that. Um, on my mission, I learned patience, how to deal with people who I didn't get along with. Um, there was a lot of long suffering that went on there. <laughs> um, and I still have more patience to gain, but I, it definitely helped the process along. But I came home and I was dejected. I was sad. I was introverted when I'd been extroverted before. My parents and my family members and uh, my wife who waited for me, um, I'll notice that change. That was definitely different. So what we'll do um, is I'll go ahead and pick this story up. It's just that 
well, for you, those of you who don't know, <laughs> when you make podcasts, you can't make segments longer than 30 minutes. And I'm going on 30 minutes here. So I'll pick up with the post-mission story and we'll start from there. Okay, so post-mission, um, I basically got home and kept the faith <laughs> long enough to get married in the temple, which is the big deal covenant. Um, now, obviously, I'd gone into there for my endowment, and that's a big deal covenant as well. Like I said, the problem with all of this is that a... Yeah, the problem is that all these covenants you end up doing a lot of the time because not doing them means outing yourself as a sinner or something. <laughs> so, um, obviously, to get into there, I lied. No man in a white suit came up and told me I didn't belong there, that the Spirit told him I was unworthy. That never happened. Heard tons of anecdotes like that growing up but never seen it happen, never happened to me. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, so I got home, I got married, and now my wife is, just was raised in just the same kind of a strong Mormon family with these. Particularly a more strict Mormon mother, um, but her dad had gone inactive and had several other issues that were bothersome to her. And so in order for me to not repeat that trauma, um, there was a lot of pressure to me initially to keep it up as far as the church was concerned. Even though I've, I probably felt spiritually dead inside <laughs> within um, a year of coming home from my mission. I, I, I saw it, I recognized it, and I didn't. Um, and, uh, but we, we, we've always agreed on a lot of things, and we've always been able to hold similar opinions and talk those through. So, our, um, I did keep most of my spiritual deadness to myself, but at the time I didn't I didn't think I was going inactive or falling away. I still went to church every week. The difference was I didn't enjoy it. Um, they never taught anything I didn't already know. Um, that and there was this terrible focus all the time on the evilness and wickedness of the world. Um, <clears throat> we had a Sunday school teacher that I just hated. I hated going to Sunday school where she taught because she always veered off of the topic to complain about. At the time, it was the Olympics, and Johnny Weir was judging them. And she would complain about how flamboyantly gay he dressed and how it was a perfect example of wickedness in the world. And me and my wife had talked about homosexuality and our stance on it. And I think at that point, we'd come to the conclusion, we don't know what's going on there because we don't, we didn't understand why God would let children be afflicted with something that was supposed to be a sin. Um, but that we'd grown up, we'd grown up in a culture where 
gay people around and we weren't bothered by them. We had a good friend in high school who was gay. Um, made me birthday cake. Which, he didn't make anyone else birthday cakes and I did not pick up that signal until much later. But, he was a, he was a great guy. Came to our wedding and he was, we were good friends with him. And so we'd had this different experience of, um, unlike probably our parents and people older, the only gay people that they knew were in the closet. <laughs> and, and I think that's the way they preferred it. Um, but she would, you know, veer off the topic on her Sunday school lessons to complain about the gays and the wickedness and, Probably at some point the liberals and the Democrats. I don't know, um, and that was hard to sit through, because in my mind I was just like, "You guys are here talking about what other people are doing, what the world is doing, and completely ignoring what you're doing." In the sense that I'm pretty sure Jesus taught you to love your neighbor and to do, and to love God and to do several other things that everyone here is failing at because we're all failing at it. And instead of focusing on being better at that, we're complaining about what the gay people are doing or what's on TV that offends us so much. That's, you know, that makes the world so wicked. And it's just like, if you're really that concerned about it, turn it off. Don't watch TV anymore. But they didn't do that. That's because <laughs> I think they like the gossip and they like the drama and they like to feel separate and holy from the world. Um, and that was a point of frustration for me is that I saw like falling Christ should come first and loving your neighbor should come first. So we can disagree about homosexuality, but we should still love them kind of a thing. And of course we've all heard that love the sinner, hate the sin, but that's kind of a, that's also a, not correct view of things. Um, regardless, um, I kept going to church, but kept not enjoying it. Um, I was disengaged, didn't want to make friends in the ward, um, didn't talk to anybody, just did my duty in the sense that I went to my meetings and I went home. And I tortured myself in that fashion for several years. Um, I even had callings. I was an elders corn present during that time. Um, so I was trying to serve and, and operate in the church, meanwhile feeling completely unworthy to do so. Um, but also... I was keeping I was keeping up appearances was all um, because I wasn't reading my scriptures I wasn't praying um, my wife would try and do those things with me and I would kind of always shut it down some way or another because I had nothing to share <laughs> there was nothing going on spiritually um, and it was like that for a long long time and I think I kept it to myself, obviously, for the reasons I stated. I didn't want to um, cause my wife any distress of, like, oh, my husband's losing his faith, and it's just like my dad. and Because that was a source of trauma for her, 
was having a dad who wasn't active and didn't participate in the priesthood like he could have. Um, <clears throat> and so looking back on it now, at the time it was, it was just my life, you know, you're going through it and you don't register the pain because you, you, you become used to it. But there was, I think I'd always put importance on that spirituality and then having that it wasn't taken away from me, but I lost my connection to it because of things I saw that I couldn't understand. Um, things I was being taught that didn't that didn't make sense, that didn't match up. And you know, constantly having moments like, you know, your your shower thoughts <laughs> of what if we're wrong? What if we're not the one true church? Because when I looked at it honestly, and I had done several times what I'd, what I'd always been told to do, that you're supposed to pray and ask if the Book of Mormon's true and you'll get an answer. That was the promise. And I'd done that several times and I'd never gotten an answer. Now I'd gotten... I'd given myself answers for sure <laughs> because you don't uh, just <laughs> they don't make room for the spirit to tell you that something's not true there's no um, that's not an event that occurs to Mormons is that the spirit ever doesn't answer you or doesn't give or because that's on the opposite of what they've been taught their whole lives and told to never question is that the Holy Ghost will always answer you if you ask if the Book of Mormon is true. And they'll hit you with this bullshit of like, oh, the Spirit's not going to say yes because you already know it's true. And it's just like, no. <laughs> um, knowledge is a very um, sure thing. You know it when, like, when you know something. It's because it's been undeniably proved to you and that had never been done for me with the Book of Mormon. I'd read it and I liked things in it. In fact, I I would say that there's still things of value in it. I mean, you can't write a book that is the founding document of a religion and not have some good spiritual content in there. Otherwise, people wouldn't buy into it. Um, but I I just didn't know how to resolve that. And there was this cognitive dissonance in my head that I couldn't get around. That there was a part of me that knew I didn't know. And then I was supposed to walk around acting like I knew. And then I heard people get up and bear their testimonies, right? And say that they knew that all these things were true. And I was just like, how, how do you know? I think, I think they all believed it, but there's a very big difference between belief and knowledge for me. And that you'd hear these stories that the apostles had literally seen Jesus, that he'd appeared to them, but they never talked about it. Um, so eventually all these doubts came up and I, um, got put into 
it was the, the pain eventually got so great that I had to tell my wife that I was like, I don't know that I believe this stuff anymore and I need to take a break from it. And that was distressing and it was distressing for quite a while um, for her. I think we've since come to terms with it. Um, and uh, and several things forced me into a situation where I had to admit to my parents that such was the case, that I had some critical belief issues that kept me from being able to bless my second daughter. Um, cause that's something you do in the church is bless your babies, but you have to be a worthy priesthood holder. And I fessed up to the Bishop that I didn't believe. And he tried to fix that issue and every attempt he made only made it worse. <laughs> I reread the book of Mormon and only got angrier because it was chock full of things that didn't happen anymore or didn't happen for me. You know, I saw the, one of the central characters, Nephi, you know, his dad comes home and says he has a vision and Nephi goes and prays about it, whether it's true or not. And, uh, you know, sees fucking angels <laughs> and gets a, gets a hell. Yeah, it's true. And that just pissed me off. Cause I was like, not only did I pray to know if this stuff was true. I prayed several times. I served a mission. I, did all kinds of things. I paid tithing and I never got angels. I never got an answer. And a lot of Mormons will listen to that and be like, well, that's hubris to expect angels. Nephi was a prophet. And I'm like, no, he wasn't. <laughs> Not at the beginning. He was a young man, just like all of us were. There was nothing special about him. Um, and beyond that, we go around teaching people that if they want an answer that they can get it and they can say, well, you were unworthy at the time you were sinning. And I'm like, well, so is every other freaking person that we taught. They're all sinning. That didn't deny them an answer. Um, Cause I guarantee you, no one's uh, doing baptismal interviews with a prospective convert and asking them about their masturbation habits. It's simply not happening. <laughs> There's a reason they leave that out of the interview. Uh, otherwise, no one would get baptized, probably. <laughs> um, so I think that's enough of that story. I think it's just the lead up, and it's a long lead up. I apologize. Um, maybe you guys enjoy this. <laughs> At least I, it's, uh, a unique perspective on, well, it's not even perspective. That's my life. That's what happened to me. Um, so from there, uh, we've talked about my discovery of Buddhism and how that was the start of me finding your face and spiritual practices and finding value in them and discovering that the Mormons didn't have it all, not by a long shot. Um, they have some. They have the spiritual experiences, but they don't. They don't have a complete picture of the truth. I don't think anybody does. Um, I think it's up to each of us to find that on our own. Um, and so that's the journey I've been on so far. Um, the last two to three years have been 
basically the spiritual <laughs> destruction of past beliefs and replacing them with new beliefs. And um, we'll talk about tarot in another episode, but there's this card called the tower and it's a, it's a bad card. You don't want to get it <laughs> in a reading. Um, I guess you could say there are no bad cards. There's difficult cards and it's definitely a difficult one in the sense that it's this image of a tower being destroyed and it evokes this sense of breaking something in order to create something new, that there's something that's holding you back that needs to be destroyed. And for me, that was Mormonism. That was my religion. Um, it got taken apart and you don't, take apart your entire worldview without consequences. In fact, you'll find that uh, the podcasts like Mormon Stories and um, the Gift of the Mormon Faith Crisis and a lot of other work that John DeLynn has done. When it comes to Mormons who lose their faith, it just seems to be a almost always a major, major deal because the church is so infused into every little bit of your life that you pull it out and you're left with a lot of empty space that needs to be filled. Um, now, a lot of people who go through that, and there's a lot of us, uh, they just never go back to religion in general. Um, and that's, that's fine. That's their own decision. But for me... I could never accept the idea that there wasn't something going on. And I think you guys have heard me talk enough to know that I look at things and I'm constantly having these existential crises <laughs> where I'm asking myself, what is going on? What is the point of all this? I'm like, I'm here and I'm seeing things and I'm hearing things. And like, there's a definite concrete life going on. And I look up at the sky and there's stars that are light years and light years away. And that I'm this tiny little thing in this massive, massive universe that's chock full of crazy things like pulsars and black holes and, and stars and planets. And, you know, the Hubble Space Telescope and the billions of galaxies, the deep, you know, the depth field or whatever we call it, um, that there's not just our galaxy, it's just one of literally billions. And I see all that, and I'm like, if it's random, <laughs> if it's just chaos, I mean, I can't think of anything more disappointing <laughs> that it, it's all meaningless, that there's all of this stuff for nothing. So there's something going on here, and I have to figure out what it is. And maybe I won't while I'm alive, but I'm sure as hell going to try. Um, and so that's been my journey, is just trying to find the best people, the best practices to show me what reality is, what the point of all this is, because there has to be a point. If there's no point, then... I mean, might as well kick the bucket now. <laughs> so, 
this point, at this stage in my um, in my process, in my journey, it's it's still breaking me up in a sense that I'm still dealing with things that I've believed and having those things challenged because um, I've continued to read the red book that I referenced in the, the episode about journeying and realizing that Carl Jung felt insane all the time that he was interacting with spirit in his own way and, and, that spirit does not let you it doesn't let you sit easy it wants you to do things and he was constantly being prodded by his own soul that he was in communication with to do something and he was always resisting it because he was scared of what the world would think of him, what they would say about him, that he would be deemed a fool, that he would be deemed mad. And reading that stuff, I'm like, obviously I think Carl Jung got on a sense that's higher than me, but I, I get it because I'm getting the same thing. I go on my journey work and I do my prayers and, whatever practices I'm working on at the moment and shit happens that I just don't have a good explanation for. And they point me in directions where I'm just like, not, no, not me. <laughs> um, and like I've said before, this podcast is, is a part of that. I find myself doubting myself a lot in terms of, well, I mean, what do I have to offer? <laughs> um, I'm just another Mormon kid who left the church and is trying to figure things out. Um, that's not a unique experience. I don't have any unique knowledge to offer. I don't have any unique expertise because there's definitely people who've been studying the new age for longer than I have. There's people who've been studying the occult for longer than I have. There's people who've been studying religion and spirituality for much longer than I have. So what do I have to, to offer? Um, and so that voice is, is always in my head and I give it too much power. I feel like, I think I know that. Um, because I believe very easily that everybody else has something to offer, that everybody else is smart and that they have a purpose. But I'm always hesitant to believe it in myself and that's something I'm working on. <laughs> and obviously this podcast is a testament to the opposite of those misgivings. Um, So it's difficult for me to even lay a finger on what it is that I'm offering you guys, if anything. Free, feel free to tell me. It makes me feel good. Um, but I feel compelled to share my experience, to 
share what I've learned and to do what I can to help people in this particular area of their lives, of their spirituality, of their connection with the divine, that I want to leave something behind that's significant. I give most of my hours to a job that will probably post a piece of paper on the wall when I die <laughs> for about a week and a link to my um, eulogy or whatever. Or my, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Obituary. That's it. <laughs> and that's it. I'm sure I'll be important to my kids and my wife and my parents, but it's not enough. It sounds, sometimes it sounds mean to say that, but it's not. Um, not for me. And I don't know what's in store, what's going to happen with this podcast, whether people are actually going to start listening to it in greater numbers, whether it's going to spread, whether it's going to be anything valuable. Um, but I have to believe that it is. I have to believe that I have something to offer. Um, otherwise, what's the point? <laughs> um, and so that's that's what this podcast is. It's me attempting to give the world, but more specifically, you guys who choose to listen, something. Um, and I take that seriously. I'm a busy guy, and I don't have all the time I wish I did to dedicate to it, but I just want to help. Now I'm getting all fucking weepy. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, but of the areas of my life I feel like I can contribute, I think this is where my skill lies. This is where my passion lies, at least. I can say that much. I'm definitely passionate about this stuff. I like talking about it. I like learning about it. Um, and so, and I'm hoping that beyond just me sharing that, that I can help create a community with you all that is beneficial to everybody, that we can get together and talk about the things that are important to us when it comes to spirituality, the things that work. So in that spirit, I'm kind of opening it up to to you guys. Now, I know I've made several requests that people contact me. Nobody has still. Um, but um, I'm requesting that you guys share with me your spiritual experiences. Obviously, nothing more than what you're willing to share. But um, if you guys want to email me with a story or send in your own voice recording talking about what your spiritual journey has been like. Um, I want to hear it and even do interviews on the podcast with people who are up for that to kind of share what we've learned. Like the whole idea is, is like that Vikings of the spirit where each one of us has plundered different villages, so to say. And it comes, when it comes to spirituality, we've had our own unique experiences, and we've got our own unique plunder to share. Um, 
so please send me a voice message, um, send me an email. Um, we can set something up, uh, do an interview. That's whatever works for you guys. I'm, I'm kind of opening this up because I realize that I'm not the only one with things to talk about. Um, but I just wanted to give you guys an overview. I guess this ended up being my story. Um, <laughs> and then some looking, looking at what, uh, what kind of things we want to go into next. Um, that being said, I'll do my best to prepare the next episode on the new age. Um, I'm still dealing with the IRL life issues. Um, but I, I've, uh, got some time to get some stuff together, I think. Anyways, um, once again, thanks for, for listening to this long, long story. Um, I hope that it was valuable and I'm appreciative of all those who, who listen. Um, it means a lot. Um, if you want to further help support the podcast, there's the Patreon at uh, Patreon slash new age raid. Um, you can support through anchor as well. Um, there's also, um, writing reviews, giving it a rating on, on iTunes in particular. And, uh, feel free to email me at new at gmail.com, um, with your stories, with your insights, feedback, whatever you want to uh, throw at me. All right, guys, thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. Bye.